Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more information, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Good morning, everyone. And thank you all for coming out. Uh, welcome again to Connections. Uh, hopefully you were handing an outline, hand out when you came uh, into the, the building today. And if so, please get those out now. On one side, there's an outline to follow along with the, uh, the message this morning. On the other uh, a list of great opportunities for you to jump in and get involved and be a part of what God's doing at the group connections. Uh, also at the bottom, I thought I mentioned this quite often, uh, is, is on one side a place where you can fill out your prayer, need, request, however we can partner with you in prayer and help you along the way. Uh, please let, let us know, just fill that out, put the information there, uh, turn it into us at the Welcome Center or at the Open Plate, which have already passed by, so at this point, your option is Welcome Center, right? Okay, and then on the other side is a little bit of information that we like to gather from you. Just to let you know, we were glad to have you, so if you're busy with us for the first time, second time, third time, never put one out, please do that, let us know that, give that back to us at the Welcome Center. And man, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 13. It is hard to believe that we are finishing up this very brief study on 2 Corinthians. This is our sixth and final week, which really doesn't do it justice with all the great things that are packed in there, but hopefully we'll be able to revisit it and go back through some of the things that we didn't uh, get in the first go-around. Uh, at the ending of New Testament letters, which Paul himself wrote many of these, including this one, uh, at the ending of these letters, it's always important to slow down and soak in the heart of said letter. To, to really take a moment and just kind of, okay, Lord, what is it? That you're trying to teach me. What is it that I can gain and, and grow from through these, these writings, these, these letters that, that you had these, these men and women of God to, to write to the churches? And so that's what we want to do. They, they usually give us some kind of closing warning and final instructions for the recipients of the letter. And we know that Paul has written this letter to the Corinthian church to spiritually build them up before he arrives. He wants them to make some changes in their lives by looking at how he's treated them and model a life in Christ himself. So as we come to chapter 13, I love the heading in my Bible which says coming with authority. Don't you like that? I want somebody who has the, the stuff in their life. I want somebody who, who has the authority. You know, you've been told some things by people and, and maybe they gave you some instructions, but they had nothing to back it up. So what if somebody pulled you over and you're driving home today and, and they pulled you over in some kind of unmarked car and they got out and they came and said, hey, pal, I just want you to know you're, you're going way over the speed limit. How many of you would really be guilty of that? Uh, maybe don't show your hands. Because and you, you know, you ask them, uh, can I see some, you know, some identification? Are you, are you a police officer? Whatever. Like, no, just a concerned citizen. You'd be like, what? Really? You know, you don't have the authority to pull me over. This is the Andy Griffith Show. We're not making citizens arrest here. I mean, so if you want somebody who's going to come and present some things to you that are difficult to hear, you want that person or those people to have some, some backing. And, and here at the very beginning, Paul kind of tells him, look, I'm coming with some stuff. I'm not coming as someone who has no authority to instruct you in your life. Don't, don't you like that? You want somebody who has the power, the authority, the enablement to come and help you. You ever had somebody try to give you some life advice whose life was just a, a, a total mess themselves? You know some people like that? Maybe you are some people like that. I don't know. I hope not, but... 
But you ever had somebody try to give you some advice and man, you took a look at their life as you know them and, and who they are and how they conduct themselves? And, and in your mind, you're thinking this whole time, who are you to tell me how to live my life? I mean, you need to go home and, and take care of your own business, right? As we like to say here in the South. Before you come and tell me how to do some stuff. But then there are those people that come to you and say, look, I just want to encourage you in some things I'm, I'm kind of concerned about. I begin to break down some things and share some stuff with you. And you know what? You know that person. You, you, you've seen their lives. You, you, you've watched them up close and at distance. And you know that they have some stuff to be able to come and impart to you. So, so you respect that, right? You, you take that in. You, you open yourself up and say, I'm going to listen to you because you have some authority to help me in my walk with Christ. And that's kind of where we're at in this final closing chapter of 2 Corinthians. This is, this is one of the, the powerful things about this, this entire letter. That Paul has to come to them and say, look, I'm the one that started this church. I'm the one that planted this church. God called me to plant the church of Corinth. And so I've been checking in on you from time to time because I love you like you're my own kids. And I'm coming back to you now for this, this next time. And I need you to have your house in order. And what I love about this is Paul comes and says, look. We have went through some stuff together. But I need you to hear what I'm wanting to share with you in these closing words. Paul opened this letter by reminding them. I mean, at the very beginning of, of this little small, short 13 chapter letter, he, he reminds them of God's comfort. He says, God is the God of all comfort. And then he also goes on and says, we find our life and our hope in Christ. And then he says, we are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into His image as God's people. We are clay jars, but we possess the treasure of the gospel. Then he says, we know that our earthly tent, this body, is being destroyed. That it's not built for eternity because of the sin that has affected it in so many different ways. But God has redeemed us, and when this body goes out, this temporary tent, we get a building not made by hands that's going to last for eternity. And then he goes on and says in chapter 5, we are ambassadors for Christ and we are ones out there representing his glorious kingdom, imploring people to be reconciled to God. Listen, if you wonder why you're still on earth, that's it right there. Your mission is to be an ambassador, a representative of the kingdom of God and shine his light very bright to those around you so that they can see God in you. And something inside of them hungers to know Him and know the truth and know their purpose and come to Him in full surrender and say, I want to be an ambassador as well. Could you turn your neighbor and say, that's why you're here? Now everybody try to turn to your neighbor and say, that's why you're here. Then turn back and say, you got it? Well, sometimes we don't necessarily get it. And then in chapter 5, it goes on to say, we give of ourselves completely, our, our, our talents, our times, our treasures, everything that we are belongs to God through the work of His kingdom and through, and then even though people may criticize uh, the suffering and trials that we experience for the sake of Christ, we know that this is what we are called to be as servants of Jesus. Jesus Himself even told His disciples then before He left to go back to be with the Father, and He's told us here today that, hey, for my sake, you are going to experience some trials and tribulations. But be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. And you win. 
because of him. So we know that we are going to go through some very challenging things as believers. And so Paul reminds us of that in chapters 10 through 12. That the suffering and trials that we experience because of Christ in us are well worth the glory that awaits us. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, I'll take some light temporary trials as, as, as Paul described here on this earth. But because I know that the glory of God awaits me for eternity. Now, this is simply what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means for us if we are going to call ourselves Christ's followers. So with these images firmly placed in the minds of the Corinthian church, the call for this final paragraph that we're going to unpack today as Paul closes out this letter is for these Christians to do something difficult. And I believe it's for us today to do something difficult. How many of you like doing tough things? Thanks for your honesty. We prefer the easy path, the, the trail that's already been created. We don't have to go through with the, the machete and, and, and cut down the, the, the stuff in the way and, and, and plow through that area and create a new path. Although that is very exciting. It's a lot of work. We like things simple. We like to zap our food in the microwave and it be hot and ready to eat in just a mere matter of moments. Maybe a minute, maybe two. How many of you like the hot pockets? Again, I'm a big fan. You put it in there, you zap it for two minutes, bam! You've got a piping hot pizza in a pocket. I mean, how much better can life get? Rather than work the dough and, and, and make it from scratch and throw it in the air and flip it and drop it on the floor time to Don't tell your family. They'll, they'll be okay. You know, God made dirt, dirt don't hurt it. And you get the sauce and, and you, you grate the cheese and, and you do all that. No, that takes what? Too long. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too much stuff. Too. Paul is saying here, listen, I'm going to challenge you with something very, very difficult to do. And I believe with all my heart that it's for every one of us to do, to do as well today. And it's not easy, as I've said, so listen to verse 5 out of 2 Corinthians 13 as I read to you. Paul says this, examine yourselves. Woo. Okay. For what? Get this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Wow. Yeah. Thanks. Are you a Christ follower or not? Are you real or are you fake? Does Christ live in you? Does he own you? Is he your Lord? Is he your leader? Is he your everything? Or are you just going through the motions? Are you playing a religious game? Are you going through some ritual of duty that, that you know, makes you look good and, and has everybody fooled to think that you are a part of the, the, the Christ family? I mean, look, what's the deal? He goes on and says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Then this word appears. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test or the standard. I think honestly what's happening here is Paul is at a place where he is just super frustrated. He's been going back and forth with this church for quite a while now. As we walk through these last several weeks, and then we look at First Corinthians, you know, last year I believe it was, and did a study there. And Paul is at a point where he's like, "Have you not got it yet? I mean, what is it going to take to get through to the heart?" 
Because you continue to stray. You continue to play games. You continue to mess around with sin. And I don't understand it. So I think that the wrap up of this letter. He writes something this challenging. And calls for them and us to examine yourselves. Are you or aren't you? And that's why I entitled this teaching today, Are You In? Now let's break this down very quickly. Number one there on your outline, you just got to fill this in, is the overwhelming evidence. In, in, in verses 1 through 4, chapter 13, Paul transitions into this final section by pointing out to them that he has the evidence he needs to require the repentance he is calling for them to have. Remember that, that this is what Paul said he wanted from them in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 21. He said, there are many who sinned earlier and have not repented. Man, that's a, that's a heavy thing right there. I would venture to say that in a group this size and those watching today via the internet, there are probably some of you that are in this room that are outside of this room that are hearing this that you've sinned in your lives. We all have, right? The Bible's very clear that we've all sinned, Paul's word of God for you. But you haven't repented. As a matter of fact, there may be some of you right now that you're allowing that, that sin to just continue your life. Thinking to yourself, I'm still okay with God because there's a thing called grace, but you just keep playing around with sin and letting it still take hold of your life and be a part of it. And some of you are dominated by it. That sin that has you entangled and, and in its grips. And, and that's exactly what Paul's talking about. He said, I've come to you on other occasions and said, stop the sin, repent. Get that out of your lives. Allow Jesus Christ to come in and fully deliver you from the stuff of this world. But you haven't. You have not repented. Now this is the third time he's going to come to them. And these sins have not been dealt with yet. And they've got to be dealt with now. I wrote in my notes here these words. And I want you to write them on your outline. Today is the day. Today is the day. Don't put it off. Don't say, you know what? I'm going to get serious about this stuff in a month. Or, you know, we're coming down the home stretch of 2018. We really only got, you know, like three and a half months left. And how quickly these things went by. January 1's coming, you know. And you hear a new me. I'm going to get real serious with this. I'm going to get rid of the sin. I'm going to make the changes with God's help. And, and then, boy, then I'm going to be somebody. Then I'm going to be something. Because at that point, I'm going to have a, a brand new life. And then all the junk in this world is going to be gone. I'm going to repent it. So give me three and a half months. No, today is the day. Today is the day. I mean, God's been just pounding that in my heart all week. And getting ready for this morning. Don't wait another moment. Paul goes on, he says, I warned you on my prior visit that, that he could not spare them if he had to come back again. And what he means by that language is this. I'm going to use the authority given to me as a leader, as an apostle, as a church planter to pronounce judgment upon these who have not repented. And, I, and I, I say there, what a heart that Paul has because of this. Look at me right now. He cares enough to discipline. I had a kid I was going to school with when I was probably about 14, 13, 14. In, in, in junior high, this is back in the di when dinosaurs were on the earth. Remember those days? Well, Don was there before the dinosaurs, so he got his hand up. He was back there. And the kid looked at me and said something about, I, I was talking about getting in trouble, and, and, and my dad lit me up with the belt. Remember the belt? You can hear every loop 
as that belt came out. So, bah, 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 and your eyes were about this big. And you were bracing yourself because you knew what was coming. And I said, man, he lit me up. And I think I made a statement some of the lines. I'll never do that again. And I, I'll never forget it. It's been 30 plus years ago. I know it's hard to believe it. You think I was in junior high like, you know, 10 years ago. But no, it's been a little longer than that. I remember that guy looks at me and he said, well, at least your dad loves you enough to disappoint you. And it just, I mean, that, that, oh, that just, it's like a gut punch. I didn't think of it as love. But man, all of a sudden, it just the reality of that hit me like a ton of bricks, and I realized what he was saying. And I was thanking God at that point in time that my parents loved me enough to try to instill into me the right way to live life, the right things, the things that matter, to, to stay on course, to not veer out there, get in all this trouble that awaits anybody who will follow those pathways. And that's the exact same heart that Paul has for these Christians at Corinth and everywhere. He was saying to them, listen, I'm coming back this third time. And I don't want to have to deal with you on this again. But I will because I want you enough to discipline if that's what it's going to take to get you to repent. To change your ways. To make a 180 degree turn and go the opposite direction from where you are going right now because everything is at stake in this. Both here and eternity is lying in the balance. And so please, please hear me on this. And, and I'm telling you, please, please understand what is saying to Paul is saying, you know, I've been nice before. Try to come and reason with you and be gentle and be nice and, you know handle it that way now now I'm going to get mean you're going to see the fury you're going to feel the pain now it wasn't anything like that Paul was just literally saying you know I've come to you and I've pleaded with you and I've reasoned with you and I've given you time have we ever done that with somebody before Maybe one of your children, you know, we come, we talk, we reason. I kind of lay out the case of why you need to do these things and, and, and make sure these things are taken care of and, and, and not do the, you know, I've kind of, kind of been, been reasonable with you in that, and that, that's kind of a mode and attitude. But now, now, now you're going to see the authority side come out. Now you're going to understand that, you know, I, I've given you opportunity, I've given you time, I've given you reason, I, I've explained this to you. So it wasn't anything like that, but Paul was coming as a man of God, sent by God, authorized by God to take care of the situation and to do one final thing to try to get them to repent. Love that. Tough love. That's a good way to put it. He says these sins have not been repented of at this point. And now it's time, and here this is the church, to take action. And Paul is going to authorize that action. Write this down on your outline. Sin cannot be allowed to go on forever. Somebody who comes to the church, man, they're just hung up with some sin and stuff, doing this and that, and you know it's against scripture and stuff. You know, the first day they show up, the second Sunday they show up and stuff, we don't go as a church and say, that's going to stop, and it's going to stop now. You cannot be a part of this church if you don't get rid of that. If not, you're, you're out the door. We're not going to put up with that. No. 
Well, it's this kindness that leads us to repentance. What we do is we embrace them, we love on them, and as they decide to follow Christ, and we allow the Holy Spirit to deal with them and, 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 and bring that thing. You remember that thing? What's it called? Um, we used to talk about it a lot of years ago. It's a, a conviction. Yeah, that's it. Conviction. Wow. How refreshing. We, we allow the Holy Spirit to bring that convicting stuff to their lives and them and him start dealing with it. And then we come alongside them and we see maybe those things aren't happening and, and some time goes goes by and, and we're like, hey, you know, have you thought about this? Have, have, you, have you looked at this honestly? Lined up against God's truth, God's scripture, God, God's word to us, his standard of living. He says, these are the things that, that I want you to, to live by. These are, these are the truths of life. And, and so we, we take this effort. And this is the process that Paul's going through. And finally, he's coming down to a point where some people who have been in the church for many, 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 many weeks and months and years still haven't got it. So Paul's saying, the time is now. And see, a big problem with that, and one of the reasons that, that, that is pushing Paul to make this final step is this. You're going around saying you represent the church. You're going around saying that you are a Christian. However, you continue to live in this blatant, sinful stuff. And so the Bible is clear that, that fresh water and, 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 and salt water can't came out, come out of the same same place, you've got to either be full of light or you're going to be full of darkness. No man can serve what? How many masters? Two masters. So that's exactly where Paul is with this. Sin cannot be allowed to go on forever. There's a time when unrepentant sin must be handled by the church and Paul is going to start that process when he comes because he carries the authority from Jesus to do that. Now, second thing you got line simply is it's time for a, a tough test. Examine yourself. I put there now. Think about the weight of this command. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. I, I believe that we ought to regularly check ourselves on a regular basis. God, am I in the sweet spot? God, am I there with you? God, am I, am I okay? How many of you believe that with me? Twelve of us. We're, we're doing good. How many of you believe that we ought to regularly check ourselves, examine our lives? They're getting better. I think by the end of the day, we might have everybody. And, and here's, here's the picture that came to my mind. How many of you are licensed drivers in here? You drive practically every day somewhere, whether it be a Walmart or to your job, so that's, that's the majority. How many of you are unlicensed drivers and you're driving legally? Let me just see. How many of you have ever noticed this thing about driving that you can kind of mentally check out sometimes? Especially if it's a, a route that you take constantly, maybe you're, you're, you're route to work or, or you're route to school or whatever it is, and you just kind of mentally check out, and, and then maybe you start messing with the radio, or, and they got buttons and down. Have you ever noticed these new cars today have like buttons everywhere for every day? I mean, you get any kind of, you know, I, I'm getting to the point where I believe that one day it's just going to be uh, telepathy, and we just think things, and like, look, the radio dial changed. Look, okay, the volume goes, look, the air goes down. It's like, what do I have to touch a button? Some car makers are like, that's a great idea, man. Just think we had this. You ever just checked out and, and found yourself not necessarily in your lane any longer? And you were kind of, what? Drifting? And someone lets you know you're a drifting, you're like laying on the horn, and you jerk it back and 
you're like, whoo! And then at that point in time, man, you're focused like a laser. You're, you're you know, you're white knuckling, you're, you're steering wheel, and you're like, I'm not taking my eyes off the road again. It's like, that was about a disaster. That, that picture came to mind this weekend. The reality of it is, is we can, we can get like that in our walk with Christ. We can kind of get to where we're, we're not focused, we're not, we're not dialed in, we're not, as, as the song earlier said, we're not on fire. We're not full of the fire of the Holy Spirit and just zoned in to everything that God has and is doing in and through our lives. So here's what Paul said to them. Examine yourselves. And he's given over and over descriptions of what a servant of Jesus looks like. And, and he's telling us to test ourselves just to make sure that we are in the faith and we're not dealing with some false version of it. And please consider that such a test indicates that you can't know the answer. You do not have to wonder if you are in the faith of Jesus Christ or not. You can know without a shadow of doubt. And Paul says, examine yourselves. Look at your life. Line it up against the standard of God's word. Here's one of the ways we can know. According to verse 5, it says, if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, then meekness and gentleness is going to be on display through your life. You're going to be gentle. You're going to be meek. You're not going to be harsh. You're not going to be critical. You're not going to be tearing people apart. You're not going to be someone that everybody wants to tiptoe around like, don't mess with him because, woo, he'll snap your head off. Now there's going to be the meekness of Christ, the gentleness of our Savior flowing into your life. If Christ is in us, then we're going to be seen as servants of the Lord. And we're not going to act like these boastful, arrogant, self-serving people that Paul is contending with here in 2 Corinthians. Now we didn't come to be served just like Jesus. We came to serve as Christians and give our lives away. And that's going to be a definite mark of a Christ follower. Another one is this. If Christ is in us, then we will not remain in unrepentant sin. We're going to be the first to run to the altar. We're going to be the first to drop to our knees. Whenever we enter into some kind of sinful activity or allow to enter into our lives, and the conviction, remember that word from just about 10 minutes ago? The conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to grip our hearts. And it's going to push us toward repentance with God and say, God, forgive me, I am a sinner. Forgive me, I blew it here. Forgive me, help me not to do that again. Because we want to live right with God. We're not going to be full of errors. We're not going to be trying to justify our sins. Ever done that before? It doesn't work, does it? Because you know what? Deep inside of us, the conviction of the Holy Spirit just still is there pressing, pushing, and whispering to us. It's not right. It's not right. Get rid of it. Repent. Stop it. It's Paul's desire that his Christians would do right and not wrong. He's not setting up these Christians because he wants to discipline another. It is his fervent prayer that they see him as true to God and that they will behave in a manner that shows that they are also true to God. Notice the end of verse 9 there in chapter 13. Your restoration is what we pray for. You know, we've prayed for people before. In a lot of different ways, I, I, I think we've probably all been guilty of praying for people that 
that God will pay them back. You ever, you ever pray that prayer? Lord, you know what they, they, they did to me. Sick of God. <laughs> I mean, you know. But I love the heart here. Paul, after everything he went through with, with these, these people, after the struggle back and forth and after pleading with them and crying over them and praying over them, he makes this statement. Our fervent prayer is that you will be restored. Restoration is what we pray for. We want you to be, and listen to this, and write these two words down. We want you to be complete and we want you to be mature. Complete and mature. Would you write those down? All that we are doing is to bring you to that completion. Man, that's where it's at. Complete and mature, not lacking anything in Christ. You have everything that heaven has for you flowing in your life. Everything. You are complete in Christ. And you, because of that, are at a place of maturity. And you're not playing these silly games of the world. You're not caught up in the junk that, that the enemy's trying to sow, the discord, all the, all the stuff, all the problems, all the trouble. Why? Because you're a grown person. You're an adult. You are mature in Jesus Christ. We see this point emphasized in verse 10 where he says he does not want to come to them and deal with these sins, but he will deal with them with the authority the Lord gave him. Yet this, we're building up and not tearing down. He's like, I'm not coming to run you off. I'm not coming to rip you apart and tear you down. Whether you realize it or not, the reason for my visit is to help build you up. To get you out of this stuff that has you in prison. To get you strong in the Lord and the power of His life. To get you away from this wishy-washy up and down, in and out of Christianity that so many mess with in this day and time. I am here to encourage you, to build you up, to point you to Christ and everything He has for you. That's the reason I come to you. Building up, not tearing down. Not to destroy. He's not going to be intimidating or mean, even though he's calling for repentance and warning them that he will use the discipline God has instructed Christians to use, but his heart is to build up. Listen, our goal is to determine ways to build each other up, not to tear each other down. We need to have our minds turned to this question. How can I help people today? How can I do that? What can I do spiritually to help this particular individual at work, in my neighborhood, in my family, whatever the case may be? This is the idea that the writer of Hebrews is driving at when he tells us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works in Hebrews 10, 24. We use, or we're to use our gifts and abilities to determine how we can help each other be built up. Would you write on your paper, I want to be a builder? I want to build people up, I want to encourage people, I want to love people up. I'm going to talk people up. I'm going to be that kind of, of Christ follower that builds and not tears down. Listen, folks, correction is for our good. We need correction. We need direction. We need someone to come alongside us and point us in the right direction from time to time because Satan can get us to move away from the path of truth and life so easily. So here's what Paul's saying. Examine yourself and see if there is something in your life that needs to be turned away from. Right? That's all he's saying. That's the heart of this verse. And when those things are brought to our attention, here, here's, a, here's a good thing to remember. Change. Do it. Follow through. I, I will honestly say, so many today will not repent and allow God to bring real change. 
I am thoroughly convinced that that's the number one reason why people leave churches today, including ours, is because either A, they will not examine themselves, and either B, if they do, they will not repent when the Lord points out their sin. They instead, here's what most of them tend to do. They pack up their sin and they hit the road and take that to the next church and they jump in there and they play that game a little bit there and then when the Lord squeezes again and says, you got to get rid of this stuff, they pack it back up again and it's on tattered suitcase and they go to the next place and the next place and the next place and all the while leaving this path of destruction behind them because they refuse to repent. Wow. And that's your choice. That's, that's the choice that we all have. As heartbreaking as that is, we all have that choice. When we examine, if we will examine, I mean, if we'll truly take a look at our lives through the lens of the Holy Spirit. And if there is something in us that is not pleasing to God, the only remedy is to repent. To cry out to God for His forgiveness and real change to come to our lives. It's heartbreaking when it doesn't happen the right way. I, I put down here, grow, Christians, grow. Because we all desperately need to grow into that place of maturity that Paul is pointing us to. And Paul ends with this, and we're living with this today. He's calling us to do some goal setting. How many of you like setting goals? How many of you like achieving those goals? You said that I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to run five miles, I'm going to, I'm going to be in this marathon, I'm going to, I'm going to get my, my, my life together, I'm going to be a part of a connect group, I'm setting these goals, I'm, I'm going to get in my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to set goals. And here's what Paul says in, in verses 11 through 14. With this need for examination of where we are in our lives with Christ Jesus and being brought to completion and maturity, Paul ends this letter for these Christians and us today with some very simple but powerful life-changing goals. First of all, he says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Be joyful. How simple is that? But how tough is that for some people? Some of you have fallen and slipped in this, this lifestyle of, of grumbling and complaining, of, of not really experiencing the true joy of the Lord. And yet you say that you are in Christ. Doesn't fit. It doesn't fit that we're a child of the King. That, 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 go with me here. That all this is temporary, like we talked about earlier. We're just in this tent for a little while. Richard ever tell somebody by you, you've got a good looking tent. Like a tent. Husbands, that's a great chance to compliment your wife. Wives, wake your husbands up so they'll catch that. We're just passing through. But you know what? The Bible says that Jesus gives us all the joy of heaven as his children. We got something that doesn't happen. Why do we focus and get so locked in on the, the, the negative of this world? Why do we let that stuff get us down? Why do we let all the, the, the troubles of this life just keep us from joy? Nothing as a child of God should keep us from the joy of Jesus. Nothing at all. And it's going to come at us. It's going to try 
do. It's going to pull at us. It's going to hammer on us. It's going to do everything again. It's going to be like that storm that's going to beat and beat and beat against the house. But when the house has Christ inside of it, when this house has Jesus reigning as a king, then guess what? It doesn't matter what the world does to us. It cannot touch the Jesus inside of us if we understand who we are in Christ and whose we are as children of the Most High God. Then guess what? We got all the joy that we can handle in the inside. We got enough to spill out on other people. We got enough to go out on Monday morning and say, here, I got some joy and you need some. Have some of mine because you know what? Even if I give it away, I don't lose. It just keeps coming and coming like floods and floods just pouring in my life. Wave after wave of joy. I've got plenty. Anybody who needs something, come and get something. Paul says, be joyful. Why? Because he knew. He knew the secret of joy is found in Jesus. Plain and simple. You're like, Pastor, that's too easy. Yeah, it is. Isn't that amazing? It's really easy. Second, Paul the Lord wants them to aim for restoration. Like, okay. I, I, okay, I was trying. I was with you on the joy thing. Everybody loves joy, right? Hey, let's hear it for joy. Woo-hoo. Would you have to go and say that? I didn't say it, but Paul said it. You want to take it up with him? Do my guess. But this is exactly what he said. Aim for restoration. This has been Paul's goal all along. He wants this church to be put back together. It is divided and it's fractured. Paul was written so that they would be restored to God's will and purpose for their life. We aim to grow to maturity, as we mentioned a couple of times already. We aim to fix what is wrong in our lives. We aim to help others grow in the Lord toward completion. We work together for maturity. We've got to be walking together. As God's people, see that happen. We're restored in Him so that we can be restored to one another. I'm going to say that there's not a person listening to me right now that does not know the pain and the trouble that comes from broken relationship. Not a single one of us. We all know what that feels like. We all know what that experience is. We all know how painful and how, how damaging that can be. And Paul knows it as well. He's seeing it displayed in his church. And he's coming to him and saying, we've got to come together. We've got to come together. Second, and thirdly, Paul's encouraging us to encourage one another. He said we come to encourage one another towards restoration and maturity. We need this encouragement from each other. Aim for maturity and aim to encourage one another. My gosh, I said we should be the most joyful people on the, earth, on the face of the earth just a moment ago. We should be the most encouraging people on the face of the earth. We should be praying to God to show us ways that people we can go out and, and encourage and lift up. We should be looking at ourselves. I'm going to tell you, there's a brother in Christ that I have in Gastonia. I've met through a, a, a ministry we're involved with over there. And, uh, what's Susanna's ministry? Uh, least of these, Carolina, sometimes just go blank when you get older. And I'm not as old as Don, so let's not go there. And you know, I met this brother three years ago. We were serving together, and, and I'm telling you what, one of the most encouraging guys I've ever met in my life, and it's infectious. I just love being around him. And this morning, about nine, about 15 to nine, before we started our prayer time in here, my, my phone lights up on the table, and I'm, I'm going through some stuff, and it, it's my man Dan. 
It's like, Pastor Robert, just pray for you today. Love you, man. Thank you so much for being a blessing to me and so many other people. And I'm like, yeah! Man, that makes you feel good. Even though I know I'm not the greatest guy in the world, but somebody thinks, thinks something of me. A friend that I didn't have to pay $25 to, to, to compliment me to. You know, I mean, it's just like awesome. That this guy just this morning before church, and he was going to his church and, and being a part of a Sunday school ministry there that he helped with, and he just thought of me. God put me on his heart. And then he did something about it. Because how many times God put somebody on my heart and like, yeah, I'm going to get around to it, but just never do it. You know, time goes by and we forget about it. But no. The moment he thought of it, he sent me a message. And he encouraged me. Paul saying, encourage one another. And fourth, be united. Kind of similar to restoration, but be in one accord. We're to be like-minded. We're to have harmony with each other as the people of God. And right at this point in history, this was a divided church. And Paul's heart was broken and God's heart was broken. This is a church that was full of conflict and strife. Listen, church, our aim must never be to cause problems, but to look for common ground and agree with one another in Christ Jesus. And folks, that common ground is God's word, our marching orders. We can all, take it like this, we can all literally get on the same page. You ever heard that expression? We're just not on the same page. Like here it is, here's the page, and another one, and another one, and, and, and plenty of pages to get together with. Unity. If you've ever read the book of Acts, the Bible says that under the direction of Jesus, before he went back to heaven, the disciples were in the upper room, all in white. Not a Toyota. <laughs> not a Chevy. They're all in a Honda in one accord. That's a pretty big accord. But they were together with one purpose. Our purpose is to know Christ and make Him known. And we all come together in that purpose. Hell cannot stop us. It just cannot. And lastly, here's what he says. Live in peace. Are you a problem causer or are you a peacemaker? That's usually the two categories that people fall into. And we know some of both, don't we? Paul says, be a peacemaker. Live in peace. Don't look to harm others. Don't look to cause conflict. Live in the peace of Jesus Christ that guards our hearts and our minds. It keeps us in His perfect peace. Bow your head to me just for a moment. I want us to think about everything we just walked through in life and life. May I remember it all. Here's, here's what I want to encourage you. That we think about these, these five goals that we just quickly walk through to rejoice, be joyful, to aim for restoration, encourage one another, be united live in peace. These are the traits and the characteristics and the kind of character that God himself and Paul the Apostle longs 
for us to have in our lives. So that we can get rid of all the sin and live righteous and holy through Jesus Christ. Here's what I believe God is calling us to right now. To examine ourselves. To make complete sure that we are in the faith of Jesus Christ. We have a real thing and not an imitation. Not a fake. But we really have Jesus living in us and leading our lives. You're in this room right now before we pray together and say, you know what, Pastor? That thing you talked about earlier called conviction that gripped my heart. Even before I came to this room, I, I felt the Holy Spirit dealing with things in my life. And right now, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but today, I want to repent and ask the Lord to come and cleanse me. Change me. I want joy. I want peace. I want unity. I want encouragement. I want all of those things that God brings when the sin is gone. Would you just pray for me this morning? Would you just raise your hands across this room and say, Pastor, don't forget me this morning. I, I need the word to come. Bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. How many others? Just raise your hand right now. Yes. Thank you. Who else? Anyone else in this room? Yes, thank you. You know in your heart of hearts that things aren't where they should be. You know that God's dealing with you. And you're tired of running from it. Just raise your hand your knees and say, Help me in this family. See your hand. This service in your hand. I want you to make this next step. I said it wasn't going to be easy today. It's tough to examine. It's tough to to get real, I want you to make this next step. Those of you that raised your hands, maybe you didn't, but you know God's dealing with you. Just come and meet me right here in front of this church and let's pray together. Let's repent together. Let's cry out to God together. Let's allow Him to come together and do what He desires to do in our lives. Come on, come on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on. Yes. Some of you are still trying to run. Some of you are still trying to push it to the side and say, oh, it's not for me or I'll get it later or whatever, but don't do that anymore. Just come. Just come down with the love of God. Pour out grace and forgiveness and love His power in you. I want some others to come and stand with your brothers and sisters right here. You got people up here that, that are calling out to God and they need you. They need you to come and rally beside them and with them, around them, stand, pray, help them, just minister. Thank you. If you come do that now, we've got quite a gathering of men, women, and young people up here to come make it face to face with them this time. Do a little business with them right now. Just ask them how we can pray with them for them and help them today in this journey that they're taking. Come on now. We've got some women over here. Some women, some men. Thank you. Would all of you just stretch your hands this way right now? Help with this, this prayer time. Father, thank you. For your great love, it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, and Jesse talked back to me this morning, and sometimes it is tough love. Sometimes it, it has to be strong. And sometimes it, it comes through that way, and that's okay. 
Because love is, is a powerful thing, and it has a lot of different facets to it. It's sometimes gentle, and it's sometimes strong. And Lord, whatever the case, at the heart of it, it's you. It's you that's drawing us. It's you that's leading us. It's you that's calling us to come out from the, the graveyard of sin. Because sin is a death sentence. Plain and simple. That's all it is. That's all it's ever been. It's a death sentence. But God, through your son Jesus Christ, sacrificing himself on Calvary's cross, you broke the curse of sin and death. You demolished it, God. You destroyed it there. You opened up the prison door, God. You opened up the grave. Resurrection power came forth. New life. Salvation, deliverance, and wholeness came. And Father God, in the name of Jesus, we speak that upon everyone that responded today. Whether they walked to the front of this church, or maybe they're still in their seat, or maybe they're there in their living room watching right now, via the internet, God, whatever the case may be, God, those who are saying, God, forgive me, you answer that prayer. God, you show up in a big way. You wrap your loving arms around them and you hold them close to you. And God, you wipe the slate clean. I love that. Your word says you'll, you'll cast our sin as far as east is from the west. There are no measuring points, God. You never hold it against us again. When we repent, Lord, you forgive completely. And God, here's the other part of that that's so amazing. You transform us. You bring new life. Where there was death and, and, and sin and, and, and ugliness, God, you bring the beauty of heaven, the beauty of your son Jesus, the beauty of, of the righteousness and holiness and purity, God, the cleansing that comes and the change that happens. Thank you for that today. Would you all stand across this room as they are continuing to pray right now? And as you stand across this room, with, with your eyes still closed for a moment, would you just hold your hands up today to heaven? You're saying, well, Pastor, I'm not Pentecostal. Who cares? We're children of the Most High God. And as you hold your hands in the air today, it's simply a, a symbolic act of surrender. God, I surrender all to you right now. Would you do that across this room? I don't care if you've ever done it before or not, but would you just lift your hand in that act of surrender and say, God, I am yours. Lord, I belong to you. I surrender everything of who I am and whoever will be to you. You lead my life, Lord. I belong to you. I thank you for your loving kindness. It's better than life itself. I thank you for righteousness and holiness. I thank you for transformation. I thank you for new birth, God. That I am the child of the King. Lord, I thank you and I honor you. And I bless you. And now, Lord, we worship you. We, we give you praise in song. We, we, we sing out with everything we've got. We declare your goodness, God. Together this morning with one heart. Let's sing it out, church. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more information, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.